Thank you so much for joining us today in episode number 172 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we have our second Ask Us Anything episode. So we will be answering our listener questions that have been submitted to us. We have a lot of fun stuff that we're talking about today, including new runners, fueling on longer runs, stretching, strengthening, and running shoes. So stay tuned. This is the Real Life Runners podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so we've got another Ask Us Anything episode, which I love. These are fun. These are fun because you guys give us the content for our podcast, which is super fun. It makes the outlines look a little weird because <laughs> they're all named after other people. Yeah, it, it does. But, you know, it's great because when you become a part of the Facebook tribe, we ask you questions. And the first question is, what is your number one question about running right now? And so that is giving us a ton of content so that we can actually create things that are useful and valuable to you because we're not just here talking talking into a microphone. We actually want to help you guys. There's also the way that they can do questions on on the uh, website, right? On the website, yep. They can leave us a voicemail. So if you actually want to hear your voice on our podcast, that'd be super fun. I do. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. So you can leave us a voicemail um, on the website. So if you go to realliferunners.com, if you click on the tab on the right side of the page, it says leave us a message. You can record a short voice message that's 30, I think it's 30 seconds or 90 seconds. I forget how long it is, but I think it'll tell you. So you can leave us a message. You can send us an, a direct message on Instagram. There's lots of ways you can get in touch with us or you can just email us as well. Um, but we're always here for you guys. We want to help add value to your lives, to make running better, to make you feel better while running so that you can also take the lessons that you're learning from running and improve your life as a whole, improve your real life. Yeah, and then the Ask Us Anything episode kind of covers a whole bunch of topics. Yeah. So if you're like, oh, I don't know about that one, just hang on in a few minutes. There's a new topic coming. Yeah, exactly. So let's just get into it then, okay? Yeah. So our first question comes to us from Jessica, and she asks, she says, I am new to running and want some tips on how to get better and faster. Excellent. Excellent question. So we wanted to talk a little bit about getting into running as a new runner, okay? Now, first of all, there are so many things that we could go into today. We could literally talk for a whole episode, which we I think we'll, we'll do that soon. I think we sh- should do a, an episode purely dedicated to newer runners. Um, but for today, we're just going to highlight a couple things. So, so I'm going to keep Angie talking as little as possible on this one so that just <laughs> answering this one is not an hour and a half. Right, we're going to do our best here. So if you are new to Real Life Runners, to our podcast, to our coaching system, we don't just train running. We don't just train you as a runner per se. We do, but just we do it in a much more holistic fashion. So we like to think of running as incorporating the mind, the body, and the skills of running because running is a sport. Running is a skill that can be improved. Right. So when you you come with a question of what are some tips on how to get better, it's tricky to just give like a couple of tips like, hey, try these three things and I bet that'll improve. Right. Like it's it's kind of searching for the shortcut and that goes around our system, which kind of leads to the first tip of how to get into running and get better and faster, which is. Um, play the long game of running yeah. is realize that running is a really long journey and you're at the beginning of it. Exactly. So we don't believe in tips and hacks and tricks because quite honestly, that's what lead a lot of runners into a cycle of burnout and exhaustion and just trying to do the latest thing, right? The latest hack, the latest tip, like that's not what running is. Okay. And if that's what you're looking for, this is not the podcast for you. Okay. We want you to take the long view of running. Running is a journey. Running is such a beautiful journey and you can learn so much about yourself through running. This is not purely a physical sport. And anyone that's been running for any length of time that's really gotten into it, trained for races, they will let you know all of the benefits that running can have in the rest of your life. It it just helps you to build mental fortitude and strength and physical strength and it helps you challenge yourself and break through barriers and overcome obstacles that you have never even dreamed that you are capable of. That's there's a lot going on there. I mean, <laughs> welcome to running. <laughs> like you kind of take the question of, "Hey, what are these running tips that I can get?" and spin it into, well, "What do you really want to get out of running?" Yeah. Because 
that kind of leads to where you're going to go with this because it really depends on what you want to get out of it of how much you're going to put into it exactly you know if you're just trying to get like a quick win hey i signed up for a 5k what are some tips that'll get me across the finish line so i don't ever have to run again that's a different journey than i'd like to become a runner and i just started last week what do i do to make sure that i don't stop next week exactly and so that is the question that we're actually going to answer today we are not going to answer the five tips that you need to do just to get across the 5k line for this question. We are taking this question as I just started running and I want to get better and faster, aka I want to make this something that I do, something that I work at, something that I'm committed to because that is the key to getting better and getting faster is making a commitment to becoming a runner, to being a runner. Like that's the number one step. Yeah, that's that's a really good starting point. And, and then after that, figure out what your easy pace is. Yes. <laughs> I mean, let's not lie. There are a couple things in this one that are like little nuggets. You could say, okay, that's a good tip. That's a good tip. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of the way that you frame your your mind of, that's not a tip. It's really just a way of being. Mm -hmm. Like find your easy pace is a really good place to start. And you're like, well, I don't want to know my easy pace. I want to get faster. Like we can't actually just get faster by going out and, and sprinting every single day. That's that's not going to work. Like finding your slower pace is actually the key to getting yourself faster and faster. Right. So if you're new to the podcast, we highly suggest going back and listening to our vast library of old episodes where we talk about a trap that a lot of runners fall into, especially new runners, and that is going out and pushing at that medium, moderately hard pace every single time they go out and run. So do not fall into that trap. If you are a new runner, you need to slow down and you need to find what is considered an easy pace. Now an easy pace would be a level two out of 10. If you are rating your effort level on a scale of one to 10, you want to do most of your running at a level two. And when we say that, that shocks a lot of people because they are like, oh, well, most of my runs are like a level five or level six. And it's like, yes, that is what most runners start with. That's where most runners just kind of naturally fall into is that medium level. Which is why a lot of new runners don't like running. They're mm-hmm. like, I don't know why anybody would do this. I feel awful at the end of all of my runs. Yeah. I just want to lay down in a puddle of my own sweat and just not move until I have to go for another run. Mm-hmm. And it's this have to thing because mm-hmm. it's not an enjoyable process. Pull it back, slow it down, find your easy pace. And your easy pace may include some walking breaks. Right. And that's totally fine too. Exactly. It- Don't be afraid of walking, especially at the beginning, especially if you're trying to increase your distance. So if you're a a veteran runner, like if you've been running for a while and you you want to start increasing your distance, you might want to start incorporating some walking back in and that's okay. Like so many people think that walking is not allowed or you're not actually a runner if you walk or take walking breaks and that's just not true. The run-walk interval is a fantastic way for you to start increasing your distance or increasing the time that you're able to be out there on a run, but still actually come back and feel okay afterwards. Um, We do suggest that you plan those walking breaks if you can, okay? Like maybe the first couple runs out, you don't know what you're capable of. So just go out and try to run and then kind of see how long you last, okay? See how long you're able to run and then be aware. Start to become mindful of how hard you're pushing yourself on those runs and try to make it that level two if you can. And if you need to take a walking break, then take a walking break, okay? Some people might be like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm running so slow if I try to, to maintain a level two. And our answer is that's okay. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And if you feel like you're uncomfortably slow, you're like, I can't pull back anymore. It just feels so uncomfortable. That's really when I start strongly recommending making it a run walk because your easy pace in order to feel easy, but still feel like you're running and you're comfortable and you're not like fighting your own body's form on this might require walking breaks into it as you start building up your cardio system. Right. So you might want to go out and and start with like one minute of running and one minute of walking or two minutes of running and one minute of walking and just kind of find that interval where you feel like, okay, like when you end the running interval, you should feel like you can keep going. If if this is an easy run, you could be like, yeah, I, I can keep going, but I'm not going to. I'm going to take a little walking break right now and then I'm going to start 
up again. You should not feel like you're dying at the end of that two minutes. Right, because then you don't really want to take a walking break. You want to take a stopping break and never, <laughs> ever start up again. Right. Which is kind of gets into the whole idea of like plan out. Like, I'm going to have this interval. It's going to be a 2-1 or a 1-1 or whatever it is. This gets into another aspect of, especially for newer runners, be real honest with your current fitness level, mm -hmm. like real honest. Like, are you getting into running, but you're, you've been cycling for the last decade at like a competitive level? You can probably hop in and just go off and run for a little while. It's, it's a lot of different impact, but your cardio system is probably going to be pretty solid. Or are you coming in from like a, a very low level of fitness? Are you just trying to get into this? Like, it depends, and you need to be honest with yourself so that you can then figure out what an easy pace is, figure out if you should be running the whole time, run walking part of it. Like, you need an honest assessment. Absolutely, because, you know, if, you, if you've never run before, if you've really been averse to physical activity and you just haven't been into fitness, that's a lot different than, like, Lance Armstrong, who was a professional cyclist that then turned into a marathon runner, right? He didn't run before. He was a cyclist. But he was then new to running and started running marathons. But that running, you know, his starting point is a lot different than someone that's going from literally couch to 5K. Yes, that is very different couch to 5K versus... It's very, very stark contrast. IV in a cycle, cycling <laughs> versus... Well, we're not going to get into that. Uh -huh. So... Be honest with your current fitness, okay? Um, also understand that to be a runner, you it requires more than just running, okay? A lot of people get into running because it seems very simple, right? They're just like, oh, okay, I'm going to put some shoes on my feet. I'm going to head out the door and go run. Um, it is simple, okay? But you, you also have to keep in mind that you need to start building strength as well, including some very basic strength training, okay? Like we're talking some planks, you know, maybe some push-ups. There are a lot of easy body weight exercises you can do, and we actually have a free strength circuit for you guys. So if you want to get that free strength circuit, you can go to realliferunners.com forward slash strength, um, and you can download that, and that'll give you eight exercises that we recommend for runners to start incorporating some strength into your running workout. And so adding in strength training twice a week is a really good idea as well. Yeah, so that's that's a big one of don't just run. That'll also help you get faster. And then slowly start sprinkling some speed. And these kind of really are some tips along the way is sprinkling a little bit of speed. That doesn't mean that from the, the get-go you just take off and now suddenly it's the day that you get to run really, really hard. That means that you're actually consciously going to do some hard effort followed by some walking and then some really hard effort followed by some walking. Just kind of sprinkle that in just a little bit, maybe once or twice a week, depending on how many days you're running out of the week. Mm, right. But if you're only running three or four days out of the week, you should make only one of those sessions a speed work day and yep. only part of your run speed work. So you would want to warm up for about 10 minutes and kind of get your legs moving. Then you sprinkle in some speed work in the middle. So if you're going out for, say, a 30-minute run, you could warm up for about 10 minutes, do speed work for about 10 minutes, and then cool down for about 10 minutes. Or do that speed work for about 15 and cool down for five. That would be an okay ratio also. So. Right. And then so that means if you do three runs over the week that are all like 30 to 40 minutes, you've got an hour and a half of running and maybe 10 minutes of speed mm -hmm. out of that entire week. That's the sprinkling that we're looking for. Right. And that doesn't mean that those 10 or 15 minutes are all really, really hard. That could be the intervals that we're talking about. Right. So you can instead of say you were doing like a run walk of like three ones, three minutes of easy running to one minute of walking. The speed portion could maybe just flip that interval and do one minute of hard running followed by three minutes of easy walking um, so that you are running at a faster pace, but you're giving yourself a longer recovery time to um, be ready for the next interval. Perfect. Okay. And then um, as you maybe want to start looking into races and, and longer things, be real careful and gentle and slow with increasing your distance. Like there's an old rule of thumb that says you never go more than 10% from one week to the next in terms of your overall mileage or your time that you're out there running. If you are really new to running and new to fitness overall, just don't even worry about the percentage. Just know that you need to increase real slowly mm -hmm. okay? and listen to your body along the way. Right. And then the final one, and I, I'm going to call it a tip. It really is. Uh, avoid comparing yourself to anybody around you. I think this is a lot more than a tip. You just want to, you don't want me to keep going on it. Well, you can go a little bit. <laughs> because uh, this is huge, right? Like this is so, such a thing that 
runners fall into, again, another trap is the comparison trap, right? So do not compare your day one or your day 30 to someone else's day 9,547 because you have no idea where that person is on their running journey. That person could have been running for 20 years already. So you cannot ever compare yourself to someone else. Even me, like I have been running for a long time now, but a lot of people that I run with, my running friends, have been running longer than me. So their running age is different than mine is. And they started younger. So their bodies were still like forming and adapting. So their bodies formed and adapted differently than mine did. So there are just differences in the way that we run. So you can't do the same exact training that someone else does in the same way because they are not you and you are not them. So do not compare your results. Do not compare yourself to other people. Understand that your running is your journey, yours and yours alone. And your goal is to, from where you are now to getting better, right? You want to get better from where you are today. So that's the comparison you should be making. You should not be making a comparison to anyone outside yourself. Yeah, I mean, really, it comes down to, are you putting in something today that's going to get you better than you were yesterday? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily better than you were like three years ago. You know, if you're coming off of an injury or coming back off of uh, whatever it is, the comparison from one day to the next Mm -hmm. is usually a pretty safe one. Right. And if you want guidance, we coach runners. We help coach you guys through training plans, through customized training plans so that you know it's right for you. And we have tons, hours and hours of lessons on all the things you need to know in order to improve as a runner. And you you get access to all of that as a member of our training team. That's where we put in the tips. Yes. (laughs) Well, tons of tips. And we all, I mean, coaching call, we have live coaching calls every week. I mean, there's tons of resources. So if you really want to become a, a better runner, invest in yourself, right? Like figure this stuff out find coaches that can help guide you along the way. Coaching is an absolute game changer. And I believe that that's for any aspect of our life. Yes. And uh, I, was, I was trying to make a little joke there, but like avoid the coaches who think that they actually have the the like three magic tips that'll <laughs> transform you into a totally different runner. Because right. yeah, there's things that you can get some quick wins off of, but that shouldn't be the goal. Yeah, for sure. All right. So moving on, um, Melanie asked about fueling on longer runs, specifically how can I fuel without upsetting my stomach? This is a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, And the answer is it takes a whole heck of a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. Like practice on long runs, practice on shorter runs. I've, I've told people for years that, that, you know, with my own training, with people that we've been helping out train, I'm like, well, you know, try to eat and, and practice different fuel sources during your long run. The problem is, is that if you practice during like, you know, a 15 miler, say you're building up for a marathon and you get GI issues at mile three and your run is completely wrecked, are you really getting the benefits of your 15 miler anymore? Try practicing fueling on some of your shorter runs. Okay, just to see how your body actually responds with taking in fuel while you're running, and then it doesn't completely derail. Like, you know, if you found some things that work fairly well for you, you can try that on a longer run, and then try something new and see if it works even better on a shorter one without totally derailing your weekend long run. Right, and also try fueling at different paces as well. Okay, I learned this the hard way. I've told this story, but on it's the a podcast good story. Before. You should tell it again, right? Because if you're new to the podcast, maybe you've never heard it. So I trained using raisins as fuel for a half marathon that I did, but I trained using the typical advice, the quote unquote, the tips of fueling on my long runs. But all my long runs were like at slower paces than my intended half marathon pace. So I never practiced my fueling actually at my half marathon goal pace, okay? Um, So when I got in the half marathon and I started fueling at mile five and I stuck the handful of raisins in my mouth to get my fuel in on schedule, I realized that I did not want to chew, Okay, like I did not want to chew at that point when I was pushing myself that hard. That's my favorite part to the story is I was I was running and I just didn't have the energy to make my jaw work. I did not want to chew. Like that's all I could think about. Like, do I seriously have to chew this right now? And I was debating whether or not to just spit the raisins out everywhere. I did not. I, I actually chewed them up and swallowed them. And I just didn't fuel anymore during that race. I did not take in any more fuel. 
but that's because I had never practiced taking it in during those harder paces before. So that's a really, really big tip as well. So yes, you need to practice on your shorter runs, on your longer runs, and on your speed runs, like, you know, the, the tempo runs. Not You don't want to be doing, like, during quarter repeats or something like that. But Probably not. <laughs> on, your, on your, like, tempo or your steady state runs where you're trying to hit, like, the goal race pace, that's a great time to try and... Uh, try out a couple different things also it's also a decent time set up a little table in front of your house and try and run past it and pick up a cup of water (laughs) off the table just see if there's anything still left in the cup after you start running for a few (laughs) steps like decide how how are you actually going to take a cup of water while you're running because I remember when I first started like running road races of longer distances, all the shorter distances I would just run past everybody holding a cup of water start doing longer things I would splash the water on them. Oh my gosh. Okay, I would just so drop the cup. There is a hilarious TikTok video. There is. Um, I think it's probably on Reels on Instagram too. I'm going to find it and repost it onto our Instagram. So if you don't follow us yet, make sure you follow us over at Real Life Runners is our Instagram handle. Um, I will repost that on Facebook and on Instagram because it's hilarious. It's, it's it, like the different ways that people grab water during a race. It is really funny. I, I just failed multiple <laughs> times. Which, but like it's laugh out loud funny sometimes. I mean, it was less laugh out loud when I was doing this in the middle of a race and I just (laughs) needed some water. Um, All right. So anyway, other things to do as you're running. So different uh, different ways to practice, different speeds to practice. Um, Don't just try changing out different brands. Like if one brand was causing you issues, it could just be the way that you're taking it in. So there's different... Um, fuels that you can put into yourself. Try the different gels or the chews, things like that. If gels are giving you a problem because they all say consume with water, the issue with the gel is it's so concentrated that they're just naturally sort of like a gut bomb unless you dilute it in your stomach with water. Mm. So there's actually some pros that can't even take in the, the goos of the companies that they're sponsored from. So what they do is they squirt the goo into a water bottle and dilute it and make their own drink mix out of like water and the gel mm-hmm. and and that works for them because then you can space out how much you're taking in at one time because right. maybe a whole gel pack just doesn't work for you right but if you're not a pro and you don't have a water bottle that's waiting for you with your name on it on a table what you can do is try to time out your gel consumption with a water stop so if you know that the race that you're doing hopefully that we'll be able to do races again obviously if you're just out doing a virtual race you can plan this and have your own water bottle on a table with your name on it if you want um that does sound fun right because i mean that's what you're doing you're you're running a self-supported ultra with multiple loops around our neighborhood Uh, did a self-supported marathon i know just rock a water bottle So i'll put your name on it next time perfect and put it on a table I think I kept, <laughs> I, I kept it in our mailbox a couple of, a couple of months ago when I yeah. did one. Yeah. And if you haven't seen that video, you can also follow us on social media to follow that one. We're on TikTok also. Um, we're on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Real Life Runners. So, anywho, if you don't have that, try to plan and consume your gels around a water stop, okay? So if you know that there's going to be a water station at mile five or mile six, get out your gel and start to consume it a little bit. Like maybe you take like one squirt of it and then you get to the water station, you get your cup of water, you do, you know, take a drink of water, take another squirt of the gel and kind of go back and forth between the water and the gel pack so that it dilutes a little bit. Yeah. And, and you can obviously practice that on your longer run too, if you, especially if you run with a water bottle. Right. And then, you know, one of the other options is actually using real food. Like, I mean, you've got your raisin story, but there's, there's recipes for how to make your own gel out of like sweet potatoes that you basically use like sweetened up sweet potatoes. So it's got even more sugar than just the sweet potato itself. And you can make your own sort of natural gel that mm-hmm. people have had issues if, if everything else is, is just causing all sorts of stomach issues. Right. So, and you can also look at the ingredients on the back of whatever gel, whatever is causing that gut issue for you, because there are different types of carbohydrates that they, the gels use. So some of them use maltodextrin, some of them use glucose, some of them use pure fructose. So figure out what, like if there is a certain one that does cause issues with you, maybe try something that uses a different ingredient as its main ingredient. Yeah. 
All right. So there's lots of ways, but I mean, the big one is really practice timing, mm-hmm. practice brands, practice the the form of the food, all sorts of different options. Right. So those are some tips and hacks. There you go. All <laughs> right. What else we got? All right. We're moving on to Tracy's question. Um, Tracy says, what is a good stretch for hamstrings? Now this, I, I, I chose this question and it's obviously a weird question to answer on a podcast because we're not visual, right? So we're not, I can't demonstrate. For those of you who are listening right now, I'm already bending over and touching my toes. No, he's not. He's not able to actually do that. I 100% can bend over and touch my toes. I just have to bend my knees a lot. Do it. Let me see it. Got it. Now he's actually doing it. Okay. So, (laughs) so Tracy, um, this is something that you can obviously go to YouTube and search for. Okay. But I wanted to bring this question on because I want to point out that many times so first of all why do you want to have a stretch for your hamstrings is it just because someone told you that you should be stretching your hamstrings that all runners should stretch their hamstrings because a that's not true and b a lot of times tightness is a result of weakness okay so this is something that a lot of people don't realize and so me as a physical therapist this is something that I know that has been proven time after time after time with patients throughout my career that so many times it's not just the tightness people think that they have a tight muscle so they need to stretch it and oftentimes that muscle is tight because there is weakness in that area so what's happening is if the, the if there's a weak muscle that's not doing its job, another muscle, it could even be the same muscle. So say your hamstrings are weak. And if they're not doing their job to stabilize or to create the power, they tighten up to help stabilize that area. So the that therefore creates tightness, right? Because that muscle is trying to like contract to kind of stabilize that area. So a lot of times hamstring specific tightness is a result of weakness in the glutes, okay? In the gluteus medius, the gluteus maximus. So if they're not doing their job, then the hamstrings are being overworked, which then causes them to become tight. So a lot of times it becomes this cycle. So I want you to just think about that. Are you doing any glute strengthening exercises? Are you doing core strengthening exercises? Are you doing hip strengthening exercises to help stabilize yourself better? Or do you just want to stretch your hamstrings? So you can YouTube how to stretch your hamstrings. It's totally going to show somebody sitting on the floor and reaching forward and touching their toes. Or you can search up how to strengthen my glute maximus and glute medius, Mm -hmm. which is probably going to be a much more effective answer. I feel as though this question may have come from like, my hamstrings feel tight and the only thought I have on how to stretch them is what I learned to do in PE in second grade. There's probably a better answer than that. Mm -hmm. And the answer is, yeah, you actually just need to strengthen the muscles. Although my PE teacher, thank you very much, Clarence Lyons, would tell me that cherry pickers is the answer to that one. Cherry pickers? That's where you reach down and touch the ground just slightly in front of you, then between your feet and then behind your feet. (laughs) Cherry pickers. (laughs) Cherry pickers. All right. So that question flows very nicely into our next question from Ewan, who asks how to avoid IT band injuries. Now, again, this goes back to hip strength. Yes, because most things do. Most things do go back to hip strength, okay? So there's several things that we need to look at here. So your IT band, for those of you that might not be familiar with uh, anatomy, is a basically a sheath of fascia that runs from your hip down to your knee, okay? A sheath of fascia. Just to try and take this out of medical terms, let's use sheath of fascia. Okay, how would you explain it? Um, it's a kind big of like, band of connective tissue? Yeah. Is it's that like a, better? Yeah, it's a, it's a big, I don't know, wide, stretchy rubber band going down the outside of your leg that holds all your muscles in place. Except it's not really a rubber band because it doesn't really stretch. It doesn't stretch. stretch. Yeah, so it's it's not... The big band of plastic on the outside of your leg holding your muscles (laughs) in place. That doesn't seem like a good thing. Okay, so this is the thing is that people always want to stretch the IT band. But it's not a rubber band. Right, and people always want to roll out the IT band. No one wants to roll out their IT band. People think that they should. No one wants to because, man, that hurts. Oh, that's so painful. So here's the thing. So there is a muscle at the very top of the IT band called your tensor fascia lata, or TFL, and that inserts into your IT band, okay, and then your IT band goes all the way down and connects right below your knee. I'm like demonstrating on my body here like you guys can see me. This is like what I just normally do. No, no, no. It's, it's working perfect. <laughs> I'm like it's coming across my hand really nice. <laughs> 
bringing my hand. So if you're wondering why my volume is getting higher and lower, it's because I'm like <laughs> pointing. Rubbing her leggings as she goes through this. <laughs> no, so anywho. It's okay. I'm still touching my toes. <laughs> so, okay. So your IT band, people think that it gets tight. People think that it gets irritated. People say there's friction in, and there's a lot of debate on how to treat IT band issues, why IT band issues even occur. Um, if you read any of the research, the literature, some of the top physical therapists that are researching this kind of area, it's kind of funny um, to see the different opinions out there, right? There's a lot of different opinions. Um, so essentially, IT band issues many times, again, come from hip weakness because if your hips aren't doing their job to help stabilize, it's putting more pressure on your knees. So if your glutes that are on the outside of your hip aren't stabilizing your pelvis when you're running, your knee oftentimes will like crash in towards your other leg. And that is putting a strain and pressure on the IT band. So if you can strengthen the hip muscles and just kind of improve the alignment of your legs, then there's going to be less pull and irritation on the IT band. All right. So let's wrap up weak hamstring or I need to stretch my hamstrings and I need to avoid IT injuries. So side plank and bridges. Side plank bridges, single leg bridges, single leg sit sit to stands, clamshells. Oh, more clamshells. And fire hydrants are really good ones too. All great Mm -hmm. exercises to strengthen the the, uh, muscles on the outside of your hips to just kind of stabilize everything. There's also other things that could be actually flaring up IT issues, mm-hmm. um, whatever that issue actually is. Um, and one of them could be a shoe issue. Um, you could be under or over supported with your shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, be, there are, and we're going to get into that in our next question. Yes. When we'll get, we'll get more into that guy in the next one, but there could be an issue of simply having the wrong shoe on your foot that could cause all sorts of problems. We'll, we'll flow a lot more detail for that one. Yeah. But that happened to me, you that know, to like, you. so th- this is important to point out because when I first got into running shoes and actual when I got into running, I hated running. Those of you that are familiar with my story know this already. Um, and then I met this cute boy that was a runner, and he actually gave me shoes that were running shoes instead of me just running in whatever was on sale or looked cute at the store. And so your running shoes did not look cute. So I don't know why you add that to your story. Well, I, well they were like plain gray cross trainers. No, those gray ones were were trail shoes, and they were cool. They were not cute, but they were cool. They, they were like gray and black and blue. Sure. They were probably not running shoes. They though. were not running shoes. <laughs> I like those gray ones. Trail shoes. They were cross trainers. <laughs> gray cross training trail shoes. Sure. <laughs> well, aren't like all gray shoes like trail shoes? That's kind of like the color of trail shoes. Yes, trail shoes are like very bra- often, browns and grays. Very like, often Because they're going to get dirty, so they, they right. start looking dirty to begin with. Exactly. So anywho, when I first got into running shoes... I was put into a stability shoe because when you were working for the shoe store that you were yep. working in, that's what he believed every runner needed to go into. Right. I mean, this was at like, that time. This was the first shoe store that I worked at, and they put everybody into stability shoes. Whether they didn't it was believe like, in neutral shoes. Right. It was either like a, a low end stability shoe, like a minimal stability with just some support, or maximal stability with tons of support for people who were like super overpronating. You were somewhere on that spectrum. There was no such thing as like the totally neutral foot strike. And in his opinion, in his opinion, um, so everybody could benefit from having some stability. You just kind of, you know, judged based off of what their foot strike was and decided how much stability they needed. Mm -hmm. So you went into a shoe that had just a little bit of stability, which was still too much for you. The adrenaline. You put, that's what I, that was my first running shoe was the Brooks Adrenaline. Oh, well that is not just mild stability. No. So that is what I went into. And so that was too much stability for me. So again, this, his theory has been disproven basically. All the current research coming out is basically showing that you should run in shoes that are light as possible and have as little stability as possible, like that you need. And I'm, I'm not saying that everybody should be in minimalistic shoes, but I'm saying that a lot of people are in stability shoes that should not be in stability shoes. And stability shoes can actually cause problems when there's too much support under your foot because it does not allow your foot to move naturally. It, it, it 
breaks pronation in a lot of people like it and by breaks I don't I don't mean b-r-e-a-k I mean b-r-a-k-e like putting the brakes on yep. because it like stops your foot from naturally pronating the way that it's actually supposed to so um, if you are in stability shoes and it's too much for you if you have a more neutral foot striker even if you have um more of a supinated foot strike where you kind of tend to land on the outside of the foot that can be a problem because for me I have a very neutral foot strike and I was in the stability shoe so it was pushing my foot I was landing very much on the outside of my foot which then put my knee kind of it was pushing my knee outward I'm sure I also had some hip weakness going on as well but it was then putting more pressure on like the outer side of my knee because it was pushing my foot to supinate more right I mean imagine trying to run and force yourself to be bow-legged yeah like that's not going to feel comfortable for either your knees or your hips like something's going to be uncomfortable if you try and force yourself into like a bow-legged stance and then take off running right so if you are standing right now just like if you're running you can stop and do this and just pause your watch don't forget to pause your watch and just basically roll your feet to the outside so that you're like lifting up your center arch and you're just putting like your weight on the outside um part of your foot And just feel what that does to your knee, right? You're going to feel pressure on the outside of your knee, maybe in your calf. Um, So essentially, if there's too much support in the shoe, that could be what's happening. And that's putting pressure on your IT band with every step. So basically, I got out of those shoes. I treated my IT band. I went into neutral shoes. And I've not really had an issue since then. Right. On the uh, the opposite is also true. Like if you're very undersupported, yes, then true. the complete reverse happens. Your feet overly crash towards the inside. You're now running pigeon toed. This is also going to cause problems. Instead of like you know, instead of straining things towards the outside, you strain things towards the inside. Mm-hmm. It also causes the same issues. And it's right. not just in your running shoes. Like if you're out there running for you know 30, 40 minutes, three, four times a week. But then you're spending hours upon hours in whatever shoes you're wearing to work. But those are either overly supportive or under supportive. You're going to cause all sorts of problems. Oh my gosh. I love that you just brought this up. This is huge because people don't always think about this, right? Like you're spending maybe a half an hour, an hour running every day. But what are you doing the rest of your days? Like, what shoes are you in? Are you on your feet a lot? And that's so true. Like if you like are a nurse or a first responder or a teacher, you're just very active. Like this was something that you dealt with because you had great running shoes, but you were a teacher on your feet all day and you didn't have any support in your dress shoes. Right. So now I have little supportive insoles in all my dress shoes. But this issue first came up back when I was in high school is I ran in shoes that were appropriate for me, but I rocked skater shoes all day long through high school as I'm walking from, I know it was fantastic. The hair is bleached blonde. It was, God, it was amazing. Um, And I, I never owned a skateboard. I've never skateboarded in my life, but I had skateboarding shoes. They had zero support. They both weighed like five pounds each. They're so heavy. They're (laughs) stiff as a board, but there, there's no arch support. There's no arch support to them. So you walk in them and it's just like clunk, clunk, like I, I sound like Frankenstein walking down the halls, but I looked good in them. Um, but the combination, I, I eventually had to stop wearing those shoes as much as I loved them because they hurt my knees. And if I couldn't run, I, that, that was a bigger problem than not being able to wear my skater shoes. When did you figure that out? Uh, a couple months in. Like what, your freshman year? Um, I feel like that was like my sophomore or junior year okay. where I flipped over and I started wearing those shoes to high school. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, skater yeah. shoes were a thing for me, and uh, yeah, and that, that was a bad combo. Right. So, um, and then the last thing we want to point out too with IT band is the surface that you're running on. Okay, because a lot of times we're not aware of what kind of surfaces we're running on. So if you are running on a banked surface, so this is super important. Like sometimes you're running on a sidewalk, sometimes you're running out on a road even a trail, like if the surface is banked, then, and you're going the same direction on that loop, say you have a loop that you're running, you always run on the right side of the road, and you always run that same exact direction, you're always going clockwise on the right side of the road, then, and it's banked, then one leg is shorter and one leg is longer, that's what's going to happen, right, because one leg is going to be on the lower end 
of the embankment and one's gonna be on the higher end of the embankment. That is messing with your hips. That is messing with your feet. That's messing with all sorts of things. So be aware, especially if you're on any sort of bank surfaces, to either A, change up your routes, B, change the direction that you're running. Like we tell our kids on the cross country team, on the, when we do our track workouts, like we always go in the correct direction on the track for our workouts, but then we tell them to run their cool down or their warm up in the opposite direction so that they're running different directions and, and changing up the forces that they're putting on their bodies. Right. And then when they do like loops a, around the school, they're always on sidewalk, but the sidewalk itself is banked. So if you run the sidewalk in different directions, then you're going to have a different leg that's on like the low side. Mm-hmm. We're definitely not on the podcast going to recommend running on the wrong side of the road. Um, you should run facing traffic. Sorry, I should have said the left side of the road. You should just you should run facing traffic. If you're well, we in the street, we have international listeners too. So I'm not saying I, I meant the correct side, like yeah. not not right versus left. Run facing traffic. You bike with traffic. You run into traffic, not directly into traffic, <laughs> but you run facing the cars so that they can see right, you. So coming. that they're facing, they're coming at you. Yes, that's that's the side of the road you should be on. That is the appropriate side of the road right. to run at for safety. Right. So if you are our listeners in the UK and Australia, it is the right side of the road. Sure. On the in the U.S., it's on the left. Yes, or find a sidewalk. Or find a sidewalk. Um, so yeah, so just be aware of the surfaces that you're running on as well, and also the the hardness versus the softness of those surfaces makes a difference as well. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, especially if you're you're used to always running on a hard surface and then you flip to a soft, or vice versa, the the quick change of like how hard the ground is underneath you is also, I mean, that could flare up something real quickly. Absolutely. Okay, so that takes us into our next question from Jennifer and Tony. Um, we're two of the people that I saw, but there was several questions about running shoes, okay? So, um, so one of the questions was, how do you know which shoe is right for you? Can you recommend good running shoes? And then we obviously um, were just talking about that with IT injuries. So let's talk a little bit about choosing a running shoe. I mean, you kind of got into some of the, the bigger issues of this is you need to make sure that you determine your appropriate stability needs. The best way to do this is probably going to a a shoe store that knows what they're talking about. Like there's going to be a few people working inside of the specialty running shoe store. Find the one who looks like they've been working there for way too long. That's the person that you want. Like they're going to have some college kids. They may know exactly what they're talking about and they may be phenomenal with it, or they may have been working there for the last week and a half. Mm -hmm. Like you need to make sure that, that you are fit into an appropriate shoe in terms of your stability. That I think is the most important thing to take care of. Mm -hmm. If you go over supportive, under supportive, whatever it is that could cause knee, ankle, hip, back issues. I think before you worry about anything else, you have to worry about your stability needs. Right. And for someone to just stand, like to look at you and then like look at your feet that, and if they choose your shoe based on that, either get a new person or walk out of the store. Okay. They need to watch your foot in motion. So either walking or running, they need to actually watch you walk or watch you run because sometimes people have like quote unquote flat feet when they're just standing there. But when they run and I've seen this happen when they run, they do not pronate. They run perfectly neutral and I've seen it happen. So if someone is only looking at your feet and then recommending a shoe, that is not the way to do it. Right. There are stores that will shortcut this. that will have you stand there barefoot and do like a mini squat and and look at your arches as you simply just take a, a small squat in front of them and they'll be like, oh, their arches collapse as they, as also they squat. Also not a good route. You're still not running. Yep. Your feet are going to do something different. And walking is, is pretty solid. Your feet may move differently in a walk versus a run. So, you know, running is hopping your Hopping is okay too. Hopping is... Because essentially, if you think about it, running is essentially hopping from one leg to another. Yes. So hopping can give you a little bit of... Yes. Information. It's probably easier to watch somebody jog through the store than it is to watch mm-hmm. them hop around for a while. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so first of all, you know, go to a specialty running store that can determine your stability needs, okay? The second thing is try them out, okay? Do not just take one brand. Like if they bring you one shoe and say, this is the shoe for you, again, find someone else or walk out of the store. You should try on multiple brands 
in that category. So once you find your stability, whether or not you're a neutral shoe or you're a more stable shoe, find what kind of what level of stability you need and then try on a bunch of different shoes in that category. Right. And once you've covered your stability, then you can try out different things. Once you honestly, once you've locked in your stability as appropriate, try something that feels comfortable. And you're like, oh, that feels the most comfortable. Great. Go out and run in it. And then when you come back several hundred miles later and be like, I need new shoes because shoes are going to last you somewhere in that 300 to 500 range, uh, depending on like how hard you are in your shoes and what surfaces you're running on and stuff like that. Then you come back and you can go to the same shoe store and be like, I like this shoe or I had this issue with the shoe. Is there something that maybe you could take? Like, I wish that it felt a little bit softer underneath me. I wish that it just felt faster in the shoe. And you use these terms and the people that have been working in the shoe store for a while will be able to fix it. I've worked in four different shoe stores. One, two, three, four, four shoe stores. Okay. And the people working there know what they're talking about. Like if you come in and you're like, um, this shoe kind of rubs the outside of my right toe. People are like, Oh, well it's that seam. It was just that version of that shoe. Like they know shoes because that's what they've got. That's what they do all day long. Like even the kid who's just in there, like helping to lace up and stuff like that. They've seen the shoes. They've hear customer after customer with like generally the same issue. Like every once in a while, a shoe brand will put like a random overlay and it just causes a blister. I've seen the people come in. They're like, uh, the, oh, it's that shoe. That causes a blister on your like fourth toe on your left foot. And they'll look at you like, how did you possibly know that? You're like, because well, I see the shoe in your hand already. Mm-hmm. Like they know what they're talking about. They're they're there to help you. Right. And unfortunately, shoe manufacturers change shoes year to year, and they try to update them and make them better. And sometimes that is not better for you. And I've had this problem. I ran in the same shoe for like ten years. Then they changed it on me, and I didn't like it anymore. And so then I've been in shoe limbo and shoe limbo is a never a fun place to be. So try out different things. You can rotate through different shoes. You know, some people like to have one shoe for their longer runs, one shoe for their normal runs, one shoe for their speed runs. That's cool. You know, if you want to buy multiple pairs of shoes, it, you know, some people say that it helps to extend the life of your shoes if you rotate between shoes because then the foam gets more time to rebound in between your runs. What do you yeah. think about that? Uh, the, the foam just keeps getting updated every, I mean, the foam just keeps getting better and better. So it's, the whole idea of your shoes going to last three to 500 miles. Most of them are starting to last towards that longer end of it. Yeah. But depends on how hard you are on the shoes and it depends on if you run inside or outside as well. Well, let's also realize that the shoe companies want you to buy a new shoe. Yeah. So when they tell you, we recommend you change your shoes every 300, 500 miles. Well, of course they do. Because then they can sell you another shoe. It's like the iPhone. It's like they know when they're going to update it, and then your fo- old iPhone just stops working on yeah. you. Yeah, suddenly I only get 20 minutes of battery life out what of this What the thing. heck just happened? Yeah. yeah. Um, another really important tip when buying running shoes is to size up. Okay, so whatever your normal size shoe is, you want to size up. We recommend one full size. If that feels too clunky and you're not, like, it's too hard for you to get used to that, you can start with a half a size and then maybe move up a whole size, you know, down the road. Um, I actually size up a size and a half. Like my normal foot size is around a seven and a half and I wear a nine in running shoes. And that's partly because I we're in Florida. So normally, no matter where you live, your foot is going to swell when you run because of the impact. Okay. That is going to be made worse if you are in hotter, more humid climates, your body just swells. Like try taking off your ring in the summertime after a run just won't come off. So your feet also swell. So if you are in a shoe that fits you well, all of a sudden your foot swells and you wonder why you're toenails are blue or you're getting impacted toenails that which nobody wants like it, you can prevent a lot of problems and a lot of blisters and all sorts of things if you just go up a size in your shoes right i mean i just ran a marathon over thanksgiving break and caused no new purple toenails and you finally sized up uh, an additional that, half a size yeah with that brand or yes. with this uh version of your shoe yes i'm an additional half size up from what i normally am because i knew that i was going to be doing a lot of higher mileage stuff as I ramp up towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great tip um, also for shoe buying. So essentially find a shoe, like find what category you, you go into and then try on a bunch of shoes and see what feels good on you. Yeah. I mean, find a specialty running shoe store. And then 
especially the first time, buy your shoe from the local specialty running store. Yeah. Okay, If you need to then go find a cheaper version online later, that's fine. But get your first shoe. If they've Especially done, if they spent the time with that's you. That's the thing. is yeah. Because they're going to spend some time. They're going to bring out multiple shoes, have you try on, actually check your running gait and things like mm-hmm. this. Give them the benefit. Like, don't try and save $10 by then, like... Please don't shop on your phone in the store. That's just that's just rude. It's just rude. I've I've watched and it happen while I'm working, and I'm like, oh, I am lacing up the seventh pair of shoes for this person, and I hundred percent am not going to sell them anything. Right. It's not even that. It's like you never worked on commission. <laughs> no. It's no one's the, working on commission. But it's just the point, right? Like, just don't do that, right? <laughs> Be respectful and um, support your small businesses. Also, like running shoe stores, especially specialty running shoe stores are small businesses owned by a family like support them you know if you want to like kevin said if you want to get your second pair on amazon or on the the cheapest website then by all means go ahead and do it okay we have a we have a great website for that but it's support people you know what i mean like like (laughs) if you're gonna support people like if you're gonna take their time and take their knowledge and take their resources like Support them. Yes. Spend, it's the right thing to do. It's honestly not going to be a massive price cut. Just get, right. get your shoes from them. Like, is it worth 10 bucks? Like, do the right thing, you know, for that time around. Perfect. So, anyway. Okay, so that's our, our little soapbox rant on. <laughs> Just right? a small one. Just a small one. All right, so that's our episode for you guys today. We hope it was really helpful. Um, maybe you had a question that came up that you didn't realize that you had but it was helpful anyway so that's what we're hoping for I don't know, hopefully it was a lot of fun i had a lot of fun on this yeah one. this is a good one all right you guys so as always thank you so much for joining us for any of the resources that we mentioned including um the runner strength guide we actually also have a shoe guide on how to buy the correct running shoes and how to find um the correct running shoes for you you can go to our show notes um which are realliferunnerspodcast.com forward slash episode 172 but we'll just link to all of that in the show notes so you don't have to remember any of that and you can just come back to it after your run Um, and if you're following us on social media we link to all of that stuff in social media as well so as always you guys thank you so much for joining us this has been the real life runners episode number 172 now get out there and run your life hey if you enjoy listening to this podcast you have to come check out the Real Life Runners training team. It's our monthly coaching program where we take all of this material, we apply it, and we take it to the next level. We teach you how to train your mind, body, and skills for true and lasting success in your running and your life. We offer customized training plans, live coaching calls, and one-on-one coaching, along with our proven system to help you transform into the runner you want to be and achieve your goals. Come join our team over at realliferunners.com forward slash team and start to truly run your life. We'll see you there.